So I Married an Alcoholic is sponsored by RealtorAndABaby.com. Are you looking to buy, sell, or lease real estate? Even if you're not in greater Philadelphia, reach out with your contact information so you can be connected with the most qualified realtor in your area. RealtorAndABaby at gmail.com. Welcome, ladies, gentlemen, lords, ladies, although not the queen. We did not bring the queen. We are broadcasting from the Casa de Prickenrude. And we could not guarantee the queen's safe passage down south. What else do we have? Shorts, fats, blacks, whites, cats, dogs, everything else in between. I am Chris, and I am an alcoholic. And I'm Megan, and I'm an alcoholic. And with talent on loan from God, I bring you season two, episode nine of the world-famous, critically acclaimed, So I Married an Alcoholic podcast. How are you, my love? I'm pretty good. How are you? I'm good, thank you. How was your trip down? Actually, trip was great. We only made one stop to pee. That was it. It was strictly business this ride. Which is exactly how I prefer it. When I am on the road, I do not like to dick around. I like to go fast in the left lane. We're all well aware of that. Yes, we did not eat. We did not drink. We pottied once, and that was it. That's how we roll. So in terms of brevity this evening, I'm going to thank the sponsors. The studio sponsor is Marlane Graphics. MarlaneGraphics.com for all of your printing needs. And the show sponsor is Realtor and a Baby, RealtorAndABaby.com for all of your real estate needs. Now, because we have a PSA sponsor, I feel the need to PSA. Okay, what you got? This PSA is brought to you by Auntie Gay P's House of Fetishes. Auntie Gay P's House of Fetishes for all of your dirty desires. Tonight's PSA, darling, is wear a condom. That's I mean, that's a good advice for life, but where did that come from? I don't know. That's all I got. Okay. So we have a very special guest this evening. I know you've all been dying for this one. Instead of hearing Meg and I ramble and scream at each other for an hour, we've decided to invite Papa Dick to the podcast with us. Hello. We're going to get a little bit of a different perspective this evening, I guess. You know, you often hear Meg and I talk about our experiences. Would that be the first person, Megan? You mean we speak in first person? Yeah. Yeah, if you're speaking about yourself. Yep. Okay, good. Thanks for clarifying, darling. I didn't understand. So tonight we are going to hear from the parents' perspective and what it was like raising an addict. It was pretty easy, actually. <laughs> <laughs> Dropped him off at rehab every couple months, saw what happened. Uh, really didn't take any work on my part at all. <laughs> I think that's a beautiful thing, right? Yeah, just rolled with it. So I can say, and again, this is my first experience being a parent, obviously raising Frankie. I don't necessarily, like, you don't know what you don't know, right? And one of the things that Megan and I talk about probably more often than we should is like we see Frankie doing twirls in the kitchen until she falls over. And we're like, well, that's addict behavior. And like things that I probably wouldn't necessarily worry about or have worried about, you know, two years ago, three years ago, 10 years ago, et cetera, et cetera. So that being said, you know, when I was going through I guess, I don't know, you could say the worst of it, and we can probably look back on any number of highlights of my addict career, if you will. But what was like that that one thing that kept you up at night, if you will, or something that you were constantly worried about? 
you not being there someday because of everything that was going on. And that's, I think, like, that's I a, think for any parent, that's frightening. Yeah, and that's a realistic, especially considering that, you know, I was an opiate addict. So it was, I mean, frankly, just a matter of time that it was going to be my, my last go, if you will, right? Yeah, yeah. And I think mm, that time you disappeared for a while. Mm-hmm. Where I hung signs all over Worcester. So the time that Dick is referring to, or I'm sorry, I'll be respectful and call him dad on the episode, I suppose. (laughs) Is, uh, and Megan and I had touched upon this uh, some time ago, that it was actually, we talked about it last episode, how, you know, I was laying in my mother's or in my bedroom at my mother's house, and she pretty much told me to kill myself because she was also tired of my shit I disappeared but I you know went on a vicious run for a couple of days and then checked myself into rehab unfortunately for me and the rest of my family that was not my last attempt at rehab I'd like to say that some things had changed but you know they didn't it was the same behavior same bullshit once I get out but yeah I mean that must have been incredibly difficult and I look at Frankie and I think that you know being the daughter of two parents who have addiction issues like how helpless you must have felt or you know gone through any length or what have you to you know find me whatever the case may be and you know like we talk about it all the time you you can't change somebody you can't make somebody do something right no and as a parent I think that that's the hardest part I I don't even know if it's a helpless feeling um, it, it's a feeling of, well, I guess it is helpless <laughs> because you can't do anything. As much as you try and as much as you want to do the good things, as a parent, some of the things you do just become enabling so mm. unintentionally, actually. So that's maybe the most difficult part is the not knowing. I don't think any parent knows how to handle it. When it happens. Right. I don't think there's a right way to handle it, per se. Every case is different. You know, like, I don't think I don't think there's an instruction manual. They don't give you that one. You know, when you bring your kid home from the hospital, like how to how to cope when they're a 20 year old addict. There is not. And you don't realize, um, I guess, how much of an issue it is for the addict themselves to try to correct it because you're on the outside looking in. And you think as a parent, you can just tell them, you can give them the nine iron, as you <laughs> called it, which is total bullshit. But It's not bullshit. It's ask not my bullshit. therapist, ask my all, wife, all ask I my had, wife's parents. I never had to hit you. All I had to do was make believe I was taking my belt out of the loop and you and your brother ran for cover. Exactly. Exactly. The threat is worse. It was easy. It was no challenge. That's because he's a wimp. Yep. Yep. So do you think that they're... And again, I think from my perspective, full disclosure, I mean, I don't think that I ever hid the fact that I had an addiction. Maybe at some points I was better at hiding it, but I think it was very well known for a long time that I was an addict. Correct me if I'm wrong. No, that's correct, but we got to back up, so. Oh, I'm sorry. uh, Yeah, we got to go back to like the 90s. Ooh. When... When Papa Dick was quite the pothead. I, do you want to go and here? We, I don't, why not? I don't yeah. really care. Okay. Well, I haven't smoked pot in 20 years, so 
you know. Okay, I just, I you mean, know. that's fine. I'm not. I know you are a I pioneer of industry. I, I don't want to fuck up anything that you have going on. Was a pioneer of industry is the was, operative me. word. Excuse me. Um, it was the high-tech business back then. And actually, in the, in the 80s, the, the entire industry was fueled by cocaine. And people didn't do it to get high. They did it to work mm. three days in a row without sleeping. So, But back then, yeah, we smoked a lot of weed. And I think that we used to hide from you guys until we opened the club. And then it kind of was out in the open all the time. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't a big deal. No, it was, I mean, socially, it was still illegal. But I think it was a little more socially acceptable given that atmosphere. And the whole pill thing wasn't, I don't know. For my generation, it, looking back on it, I guess it was a big deal, but it really didn't seem like a big deal at the time. The only people that were into heroin and pills when in my neighborhood were the guys that came back from Vietnam. Mm-hmm. They came back messed up. Right. For the rest of us, it wasn't. It was just recreational stuff. Yeah, it was more taboo. That's even how I grew up. Like, I would have thought of pills and heroin as something that like only the dregs of society did. Like oh, yeah. you were talking about the amount of people that have died in your graduating class, Chris, of overdose. And that like blows my mind. Like that it was a more I don't want to say acceptable, but like, oh, you went to high school and then everyone was popping pills. Like that blows my mind and we grew up in the same time period even. There weren't functioning drug addicts yeah. back then. If you were on heroin you were you were curled up in a corner someplace with a needle hanging out of your arm or whatever. Exactly. Um, but this whole opiate thing turned into people becoming, I guess you call them functional alcoholics, the same thing, mm-hmm. where people can drink and they can they work and that's actually their normal being. We talked about, too, like Worcester was on the forefront, really, of the opiates. I think it reached you guys before it even reached us. Like, it became more commonplace up there. Yeah, I think Worcester was probably living in the trenches. I mean, if we go back to, you know, the 80s and 90s, I think Worcester was probably, you know, one of the top 10 heroin hotspots in the country. But then fast forward and you bring on the opiates, the pills, if you will. And I think Worcester, for whatever reason, probably its proximity to New York City and the ports and Boston and 95. I mean, they call it the Oxycontin Highway. Uh, For whatever reason, you know, it became that that hotbed of opiate abuse. And again, I think it was they were functional. I mean, people... And I don't really know about the whole Oxycontin thing and everything, but back in the day, it was just Percocet. That was the opiate. You, well, yeah. I, mean, I don't it was... know if there was, I don't know when the whole Oxycontin thing and everything came out, but people back then, like I, I can remember going down to Lake Park to play softball at night and having sunburn and, and mutt saying, hey, I'll take one of these. You'll be able to play. You'll be fine. Yeah. It'll get you through whatever. But we never... I mean, that was, we didn't like do them every day. It mm-hmm. didn't become a, it didn't become a, a, an addiction, if you will. Right. I think the pot was more of an addiction. <laughs> <laughs> and that wasn't even an addiction. It was, I don't know. It was just, I quit smoking cigarettes and started smoking pot. I mean, hey, whatever gets you through the day, right? Yeah. Blunts. Yeah. I could roll a blunt and drive at the same time. I don't, I don't know if that's good parental parental advice. No, it's not. Mm-hmm. 
No, but it's, it's a very advice, good skill it's a set. Story. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's his truth, you know. <laughs> Let me ask you something. It was kind of interesting. You said, I don't know, I'm probably going to quote you wrong right here, but something about, you know, like guys that came back from the war and they were all fucked up and had a needle out of, hanging out of their arm and they were junkies. Do you think that's when the the stigma, if you will, because that's what the typical opiate user looked like? Yes. Yeah, that was definitely, uh, it, it, they were definitely, uh, I can't even remember the nickname we used to call them, skids. Which is crafty. We'll talk about that in a moment. <laughs> you know, my, my best friend John will tell you some of those stories. But yeah, we called them skids because they basically was skid row where they all hung out. Mm -hmm. That's what it was called back then. Right. When I was in high school, if someone smoked pot, they were like demons. Of course, that was in the late 60s, early 70s, but still. It was a long time ago. Yeah. But now so, if you go to rehab, like I'm sure Megan can tell you as well, like I was in rehab with lawyers, doctors, nurses, pillars, otherwise pillars of society. Oh, absolutely. Like not somebody you would think about, you know, hanging out in an abandoned house with a needle hanging out of their arm. Nope. No, you know? we have a we had a good friend in in our neighborhood back home whose relative was a doctor and lost a license. And I won't you know identify them any further, but nor back, should you back practicing that person is, I guess. I don't really know, but yeah, but it, it it was everybody. It wasn't just when when we were growing up. It was just the guys that came back and were all screwed up from the war, mm -hmm. and then it became you know sort of a a uh, societal thing after that where people became functioning addicts. Do you distinguish a difference? Like if you think about that, right? Like what we used to picture an addict like, but you know, Chris and you know, I'll speak for him right now. Which Thank is, you. He darling. loves when I do that. It's sure his favorite do. thing, but he was an addict, you know, like do you equate the two the same? Nope. Right. That's Not what I, all. that's exactly what I thought. You if you said. looked at Chris, Chris, Chris yeah. was a banker. Chris w would wear yeah. a suit, and he had manners, and he was pleasant, and he could carry on a conversation. You could take him out to dinner. I mean, he had he had all those attributes of of a societal professional. Yeah. Do you think that Not makes it even harder, though? <laughs> yeah, exactly. I think it. Yeah. I think it. Make, yeah. Do you think it makes it even harder? Like he's this charismatic, well presented person, yet has this horrible addiction but like how do you how do you, but he functions right so is it kind of okay you know sometimes he's better than others i don't know i think i think alcohol was more debilitating yeah for chris i i don't i don't know that i can recall you know him like high out of his mind but i think alcohol a couple nascar races we went to I was good and cocked. Yeah, you were kind of out of control. I kind of? Remember. That was one time. I really don't remember too many times you being that hammered. I oh, think I, I'll take that back. New Orleans. But yeah, New Orleans. We ain't going there. No, totally going there. So the last time and the only time that I was in New Orleans with my father, uh, I don't remember much because obviously I was blackout drunk, but I do remember humping one of those grenades on Bourbon Street. Like those big. The big blow-up grenades. And then, uh, I don't know, maybe circa 3, 3.30 in the morning. Uh, Daddy had left early because Daddy's a bitch and he couldn't hang. Daddy had to go back to the hotel. And uh, he was in bed and I cracked open the door thinking I was being all like super sneaky. 
and I totally dropped my trousers and I teabagged my father. And I proceeded to punch him in the balls. That was well deserved. But yeah, no, earlier that night was, yeah, you and your brother, I had to go back. I couldn't hang because I was older. And I think the difference between alcohol and, you know, any sort of opiate is that you can definitely hide it, quote unquote, better, unless you are like literally on the verge of an overdose and you're like, you know, about to keel over and pass out. You know, once you drink a certain amount of alcohol, obviously you become inebriated, right? I think you can do a plethora of opiates and minus, you know, the couple of telltale signs like the the pinned pupils uh, or the constant itching. You don't really notice it. Or maybe I, I was an energetic opiate user. So, like, if I was detoxing or something like that, I'd be dragging ass. And then if you put a couple of Percocets in me, I'd be, like, running around scraping the paint off the side of the house. Like, we're going to paint this house by lunch. Yes. Like, that was yep. my thing. Yep. You know, so those were the couple of, like, tells, if you will. You know, actually, if you want to go back, like, way, way back, you know, we can talk about... And I don't want to... Unfortunately, we only have maybe an hour to to make you a superstar and really capture the essence of Dick. But growing up, and again... <laughs> JP will love that one, the essence of Dick. <laughs> the essence of Dick. Yes. This joke brought to you by Auntie Gay P's House of Fetishes. <laughs> um, you know, I see myself doing this now with Frankie, and, and I'm not talking about, like, I want Frankie to have, you know, the best jewelry or the best this, the best that, but I as well as Megan, as providers, think that it is not only our job, but our obligation to give Frankie the best of everything. And that includes the best opportunity to succeed at life, the best education that we can possibly provide her. Do you think having, you know, raised me, obviously, that if you could go back looking at where I am now, or perhaps, you know, when I was in the, the trenches, if you will, do you think that does more of a service or more of a disservice? I wouldn't change a thing okay. on what we did. And I would do the same thing for Frankie. Yeah, you guys, we did everything for you guys. And we were lucky at the time. We we made, you know, a decent amount of money. And we, we experienced things that, you know, 99% of, of people in this world will never get to do. Mm -hmm. um, but I don't think that's what led. I don't think that leads to or is a trigger for addiction but i don't know i think you can provide your kids with everything there is possible in the world and and they can still turn out to be you know great people without addictions i don't know what triggers it mm -hmm. and i don't think anybody does it if they did they'd solve it and cure it yeah and you wouldn't have, it. yeah you wouldn't go through rehab 15 times before you got your shit together and yeah. if you think about it, like me, my brother and sister, there's three of us. We were all raised the same way. And again, we were the same. We were given uh, immense opportunities, educations, you know, all those things. And one of us is an alcoholic, not all three, you know, even though we were raised the same way. So I don't I think you're right, Dick. I don't think it has anything to do with, you know, if, if anything, I mean, it's your own insecurity or I don't know what you trying to live up to something that you couldn't or you feeling stressed, that's internal. 
Thank you, darling. No problem. No. Blaming and, you. And, and the whole uh, <laughs> I was never a drinker, so I couldn't. Right. I don't like the feeling of getting drunk. I was just going to say. I put a couple Maker's Marks down this weekend at the hockey games, though, didn't I? You sure did. But I wasn't stumbling drunk, and I wasn't Not like even puking close. drunk or whatever. I just, uh, you know, I didn't really start drinking until I was in my 50s or or later. It's like I said, I was just I was a pothead. We would go places, and we would just, you know, go outside. Instead of having a butt, we'd have a joint. Right, and didn't get. I never really got that taste for alcohol, so I don't, I don't know what the trigger is or what gets, what the flips the switch in your brain. For that to, for people, for any people, anybody, for that to be. Well, and I think it's a two-hit theory. I think there's genetics involved, and then something in your life, some outside force or internal force that you just can't deal with, and that's you know where it goes but yeah I look at you Dick and I don't think of you I mean I didn't know you back then even in your partying days but I I can't imagine you as ever abusing alcohol so I think that watching Chris must have been like mind-blowing like how can you even understand that you know what I mean yeah it was the whole the whole drink well actually I didn't see the whole drinking thing I guess I kind of I didn't really pay attention to it because I didn't think it was an issue because it's socially acceptable. We didn't think until, like I said, until, I don't know how many years ago it was, but when the shit really hit the fan, it wasn't, Chris wasn't an addict, he wasn't a junkie, he wasn't an alcoholic, and then all of a sudden it, it was there. Yeah. Like finding the nips. Yeah. Or as some people call them, the airline bottles of whiskey. <laughs> the yeah. Philly word. The little airline bottles, nips. But, you know, and then I go back to different areas of the world where they, they sell. <laughs> you go in a drugstore and they have nips at the cash register in a gas station or, you know, everywhere. Convenience store, drugstore, gas station, doesn't matter. Um, but but the whole country doesn't turn out to be a bunch of alcoholics. So I don't know what the trigger is. And the, and the, the addiction, the pill thing, I guess it, it might have been around where we were, but it really it wasn't like people weren't. I don't know, people weren't, like, living to get high. Not Well, not people that I knew anyway. It might have been say, a few. Not your circle. Yeah. yeah, totally. Right. But now I guess they're looking back at it. A lot of people have come out of the woodwork and, and talked about it. It was there, but it wasn't as out in the open. Well, I think in society, too, until pretty recently, you know, addiction, alcoholism is a very private disease. It's a very shameful disease. So I think people keep it hidden as much as they can they hide it within families within their own life do you think that Chris I agree with that completely because uh, there is unfortunately still a, a sickening amount of stigma attached to and we don't even have to put the alcoholism addiction label on it I mean we can go mental health you can go any number of uh, pretty fairly common afflictions these days where you just don't talk about it, you know, because it doesn't reflect well upon your parents or your upbringing or whatever for, you know, whatever the reason is. And I think that's why it's important that people with issues do come out and talk about it because it, I don't want to use the word mainstream, but it makes it, 
I don't know. It it almost gives people that sense of hope, if you will, because so-and-so is struggling, and if they can do it, I can do it. And that's honestly like a big part of why we do, you know, Megan and I do what we do. Because again, if, if we can do it, quite literally anybody can do it. You just have to make that that leap of faith, if you will, and put in the work. Well, that's the same as life in general. You know, some of the things we did in the pioneer days of the high-tech business, people looked at us like we were nuts. Right. I'll never have people saying, like, what, what are you doing? What, who's going to use a computer in their house? You guys are wasting your time. Go out and get a real job. Fast forward 20 years. And my granddaughter, who is not even two years old, is using her freaking finger to, to play stuff on her iPad. How does she even know how to do that? I don't know. That blows my mind. But I don't take that whole thing, you know, I, I don't take that whole addiction thing personally. I don't think it's our fault as a parent. I think that's an individual, and it's up to an individual to solve it. Right. See, I have no sympathy. I'm not a snowflake. Sorry. No, it's okay. Can we say that? I don't want to ruin your reputation. No, I actually think that's great. I'm like John Wayne. You know, <laughs> John Wayne. Kids. They want everything for free, and they don't know what it's like to go out and earn it. So I actually think you figured out the secret to life, honestly, because I think so many addict parents feel that or think they can save their child, because we all want that, right? But it's not the truth. Like, it's impossible. Correct. So I think... Quite honestly, I think that's a gift that you have to know that because so many people struggle with that every day. And there's, as a parent, that sounds so awful, but there's really nothing you can do unless they make the decision to change. And as, like I said earlier, I think that, you know, most parents in their effort to, wow, that sounded Boston, didn't it? That was very good. I I hear every now and then when I do some public speaking, I I listen to myself afterwards and I'm like, holy shit, that was terrible. (laughs) That was like right out out of the streets of Southie. (laughs) Um, You know, in their effort to help their kids, they actually end up being enablers and making it worse. I think there's like two directions you go, right? Either you like hold the hard line or you enable. And I think as a parent, it's hard to do either one. Like, and I don't know what's right or what. I mean, we kind of joke about it, but I always say like, I'll be a terrible parent to an addict because I'll be like serving the peanut butter and jellies down in Kensington. You know, like I know that about myself. I know that I won't let them starve. I won't let Frankie or Mac not have a place to stay that night. And that's also probably not the right decision. I just know who I am, where I think Chris will do a better job. He'll he'll follow that dick motto that says, no, get your shit together and we'll see you when it when you're when you're ready. Yeah. And we I've had some, you know, talks with Chris's mother about that back in the day when Chris was having his issues saying you can't you 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 can't give him a car, you can't give him money. And I don't care what he tells you it's for. He's he's a liar. He's it's gonna, probably for drugs. He's yeah. going to sell it or hawk it or whatever. And, you know, nothing's going to change until he wakes up in the gutter someday. And I, I that's cliche, I guess. I don't know when you got to hit rock bottom, but I guess it's true. Until you as a person make that choice or decision or whatever the hell you call it to, to not give in to your addiction anymore, you're not going to change it. Like, my addiction now is food and cars, which both could kill me. 
at some point. If they don't Jude well. <laughs> yeah. In varying degrees. I think the, yes. the food is killing me. Um, Slowly. And one more I vehicle, several, Jude's going to you know, out you on the ba- in the back. The several heart attacks I can attribute to the diet um, back in the day. Um, and having an automobile that does zero to 60 in less than two seconds and will make you pass out um, could also kill you. Um, right. But I find that when I was driving on a full stomach, I did a much better job. So the two go hand in hand, unlike <laughs> alcohol and driving, which is, you know, yeah. that's a not sandwich a good, never yeah. really hurt anyone. Yeah, right. It's not a good combination. So, um, but those, yeah, those are my addictions, but they're not, they're not as debilitating. I don't think. And they're uh, not harming other people. You know what I mean? I think that's no. a big part of it. Like, y- you know, just because you like, a good steak, you're not going to kill anyone for it. Or rob a bank. Exactly. Unless the Maybe. Russians invade us. Then I will be killing people for steak. <laughs> and it's going to be whoever has the most guns and ammo is going to going to win. That's, they get the Wagyu? Yeah, that's what it is. Oh, the Wagyu. That's what it is. I feel bad for the people in Ukraine right now because they have, you know, they have no choice. They have to deal with it. Yeah. And and the, the ones who are going to survive are going to be the you know the ones who are the tougher ones and have the fortis whatever you call it intestinal fortitude yes to make those tough decisions mm-hmm. that's like you know getting clean it's a tough decision and it is a decision and I think and I don't know. Yeah. Well, the decision so. to get clean is definitely a decision. We've talked about this before, like. I think at some point, well, I think the first couple of times you use, especially an opiate, which is a highly addictive substance, it is a choice. I don't think we're going to ever debate that here. And then once you start to, quote unquote, feed the beast and your body depends on it, it doesn't become a choice. It becomes a lifestyle. See, I think that's the worst part is the physical addiction. Absolutely. And you have, I mean, you do have a choice to not use, but like I can tell you, you know, from a a very visceral memories, there are, you know, two ways to get clean. It's either stop using and be sick or, you know, some sort of medication assisted treatment, which is basically just another crutch. It's a replacement. And that, you know what, in today's climate, in today's society, you know, there are a bunch of medication-assisted treatment programs that are fantastic because they are keeping people alive. And I think that's what matters now. But it is still a crutch, right? And, you know, I, I just remember my dad when he was, I don't know, he must have been in his mid-60s. You know, he smoked like a chimney since he was, you know, 15 years old or whatever. And they told him, oh, he's got to quit smoking, got to and he tried to quit smoking. And I remember him, and the only way I can relate it is to someone trying to kick heroin. He mm-hmm. literally was sick at night. He couldn't sleep. He couldn't do anything. And then finally he said, you know, the hell with this. I'm not going through this. I'm 65 years old. I'm just going to keep smoking. I'm not going to live the rest of my life feeling like shit. And much like kicking heroin, the only way to fix it is more pills or time. And I think that's where you get into that vicious cycle mm-hmm. where... Um, you do need some outside force to kick in and to help you make those better decisions. Otherwise, it's never going to change. 
So Chris did the merry-go-round of rehab over and over and over again, right? I'm sure the first time was like, oh, okay, this is good. He'll go in and get help and come out. Now, after the cycle repeats itself five, six, seven, eight times, do you lose hope? As a parent? Yeah. 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 Kind of. Because it's like, wait a minute, didn't you just, <laughs> you want to give him the nine iron yeah. and tell him to smarten the fuck up? I mean, what's the, what, what's the deal? Yeah, why you can't you figure yeah. it out? I mean, don't yeah. you see what you're doing? And no, they don't. Um, it's, it's very controlling. It, it, it's sad. I also think, too, um, that in, in society today, right or wrong, here I go being John Wayne again, but, you know, you got places like, you know, New York City. I don't know. Maybe it's not New York City, but this place that they're shoot—they're setting up shooting dens or shooting parlors or whatever you want to call them. You go in there and they're gonna go like Amsterdam in that park, mm-hmm. where you can go in there and actually give you heroin and needles and everything else. And now you just got this—you're generating these robots. Um, so it's not—it's uh, not trying to solve the problem. Not that—not that there's a solution. I really don't. You guys are the—you know. The closest thing that I've seen to a solution, and hopefully it stays that way. But I don't. I, don't, I think that societal pressure on the whole pain-killing thing and and alcoholism is a bit. I mean, alcohol. You know, it's like we go out to a business dinner and everybody's having a drink, and is you know, that's you know, it's like socially acceptable. Peer pressure is a motherfucker. And then how you know when do you when does it turn into a problem? How does one know it's becoming a problem? You don't because you're right there consequences really yeah you I know guess. i think it takes you know a number of consequences to be like oh wait a minute oh yeah definitely Ma- maybe it i def- do have an issue this is my fifth dui or you know i just robbed a bank or hmm. whatever sounds familiar you know <laughs> whatever life issue you're going through at that particular moment but even that chris like that wasn't enough for you was it that was not that i would like to say that that was the last time you know, my last straw or my bottom, if you will. But no, unfortunately, there were at least a couple more years of abuse after, you know, I was literally sitting or standing in front of a judge facing years of prison. But I played the part and I answered the answers correctly or I answered the questions correctly and I got a great lawyer and I was, you know, I played the system, which is what I did well as an addict. You know, I played the system. Actually, now that I think about it, that was the most disappointing I ever was in you, is when you confessed to the police. And I was like Tony Soprano. I was like, did I have a fucking teacher? You don't say anything. You don't admit to anything. Keep your mouth shut. Well, in my defense, you know, I took my brother's advice because I don't think that I had told you initially. I don't think we had the, hey, Dad, I just robbed a bank conversation quite yet. No. So you thought, I'll go to Rick and see what he thinks? You know, because Rick was a career law enforcement officer, and he also has a very somehow thick and made-up Worcester accent. But I asked him, and he was like, no, you know, if you're on, Like, he copped me. He was like, well, if you're honest with the police, then they'll go easy on you. Yeah, that's like, yeah. But it's not the police that goes easy on you. It's right out of law and order. justice system. (laughs) <laughs> they don't go easy on they don't, Nobody goes easy Yeah, the police it. were very nice to you and made you a cup of coffee and all those things. It was the... I demanded espresso in my jail cell. The judge that said, no, sir, that's not how this is going to go down. At the end of the day, that's their job is to get you to open your mouth and, you know, then they hand it off to someone else and they look like a hero. 
Um, but no, and Rick's accent, I don't think he's made up because he years ago his his greeting on his phone when he was when he was still a federal agent, he his greeting was, "Hey, this is Rick." I can't answer the phone right now, but leave a message after the beep. After. After. That's A F T A. I always listen. I used to call him just, and I'd play that for my friends at work just so they could hear his accent, and they would it would be pretty funny. So I don't know about his accent being made up. I think it's maybe it just comes through a little thicker on the mic. I think because we don't live there anymore. I know, so it's foreign it's, to us. Yeah. Because when I see it on TV, like uh, different people, even. Who's the labor secretary now? He used to be the mayor of Boston. Marty Walsh. Marty Walsh, who's a real dink. But his, I see him on TV. He's in the port of L.A. and he's talking. And he's like, we're going to ask the truckers to, you know. And I'm like, it's like, dude, where are you from? Exactly. And I, I guess when you don't live there anymore, the accent is more prevalent when you hear it. Interestingly enough, Marty Walsh, also a very outspoken recovering alcoholic oh sure he's an irishman of course well yeah you, you irish from boston one of two right. ways yeah you either drink or you don't yeah and he was probably had a few beers at fenway and you know would start a brawl in the stands so and now he's well the transportation secretary but he was the mayor of the greatest city or commerce secretary whatever he is commerce secretary maybe uh, the other guys the trans whatever i don't know did neither fenway one of them should have those jobs <laughs> did, did fenway park used to have its own jail just like the vet did in philly no i don't think so the, uh, the stadium in philadelphia used to have its own drunk yes, tank yes it did it did veterans was a veterans veteran stadium, stadium yep. yeah it needed it I let me tell you so so fast forward five years or whatever when Chris does or five years ago I guess so rewind whatever and Chris does go to rehab for that final time right hope's gone which is completely understandable and any reasonable logical person would feel the same way um how long do you think it took think all right maybe we can trust him again or let him back in not, not long at all actually I, it's not I don't know, that's a tough one to answer because when he did do the final rehab, I guess, he wasn't here and we weren't communicating that often. Mm -hmm. So I don't know that, I mean, if he still lived here, I guess I could maybe put a timeline on it, but I don't. So it was like, it was like, okay, he's clean now. He's good. Yeah. That's did he seem first different this time? No. No. <laughs> no. I don't think so. No. Um. Because I think when you first get out of rehab, yeah. you're all set for whatever time period that is. You're, I don't want to call it back to normal until that switch gets flipped again. But no, not at all. Yeah, he came out shiny and fresh. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So then that's when I met you guys after Chris got sober the last time. Yes. Hopefully the I think, final last time. Believe it or not, not to get all fucking mushy and shit. Cause that's mush it up, Dick. Mush it up. That was it our granddaughter's baptism and we met you and I remember Chris coming out in the parking lot and said to Judith and I, I said this is you know what's done is done and let's move forward and can we do that and all that stuff and you know I was like <laughs> yeah it never stopped you know nothing ever changed really but we knew there was something there we knew at the time that changed now do we know that it was going to last no 
was there anything to trust or anything now because like I said he wasn't here so it was on his own do you think that that makes it harder that there are repeated attempts at recovery and there's always you know those first couple of days or the first couple of weeks where the promises are made and inevitably the promises are broken but do you think that that makes getting that relationship back or letting bygones be bygones be even tougher after the third attempt the fourth attempt the fifth attempt because it's kind of just it's the same old same old well oh okay chris went to rehab again now how long is it before he fucks his life up again no because like i said before it's not wasn't my issue it was your problem not mine mm -hmm. so to me it wasn't it, it wasn't a, I never thought, okay, well, you know, how long is it going to be till he falls off the wagon again? Right. We just go day to day. Um, unlike, you know, my mother, who was an old Italian lady, would hold a grudge for, you know, 50 years. She's because, been in the ground for three years. She's probably still holding that, a grudge. She's probably still not talking to my aunt because <laughs> well, it wouldn't mean, let us sit in the living room. Can't I mean, talk. In that, well, to the, um, she could if they with whatever if they're maybe together. Maybe they're in the same zone upstairs. They're in the same section. All the Italians <laughs> go to one section of exactly, heaven. Exactly. Special section. And they still don't talk to each other yeah, because exactly. they still hold that grudge. No, there wasn't. I don't. There wasn't really a grudge to hold. It wasn't my issue. Again, I don't know if that's cold or or what, but I think it's actually pretty evolved. I would have held a grudge. I, I think I would have thought, like, you've burned us before. You'll burn us again. This is short-lived. Like, I don't know. And I'm not good at living in the moment, I guess. Yeah, but as a parent, yeah. you know, as a parent, I'm like, oh, okay, so, you know, if he does, he does. What am I going to do? Yeah. I'm not yeah. going to throw my kid out. No, see, no I know. No matter what happens, that's where a parent becomes an enabler. I know. It's so hard. I think about that. But it wasn't hard not to give him money and stuff. Yeah. It was hard to see him go through that, but at yeah. the end of the day, I wasn't going to... It did come to a point where we said, no, that's it. No more help. Right, but it's impossible to stop loving them. So that's Exactly, and it wasn't yeah. to a point where nobody ever said he can't come back to this house. Nobody ever yeah. said anything like that that I know of anyway. But yeah. Except maybe his mother but yeah except you know <laughs> minus my mother who told me not to come back to this life but you know <laughs> that, i'm not holding a grudge but i think that was just a, a spur of the moment yeah because i was think pissed you, yeah i think you ended up back there before you finally got sober the last time yeah, and i can honestly say looking back on that you know five and a half years ago whatever that time frame was i know it came from a place of anger and i certainly don't blame her I mean, yeah, those are some pretty harsh words to hear, but I can only imagine the frustration that she must have felt and you that. guys must have felt for your own it, mother to tell you to kill yourself. It was the frustration. She didn't know what to do anymore. No, she and as was a mother, at her end. Yeah, and as a mother, you can't... I just said mother. Mother. Um, as a mother, you can't, you can't just throw your kid away like that. You can't watch them... So the knee-jerk reaction was to verbally express the anger. Mm -hmm. And I think you've heard parents of a lot of addicts who have passed away, um, who've died from this disease. You will hear them say, they're finally at peace, or I finally sleep again at night. And I know that sounds horrible, um, but I, 
I can understand that, that constant worry. I mean, from the day you become a parent, you worry, right, about your kids. You don't want them to fall. You don't want them to get their feelings hurt, you know. And when they're an addict and they're out there running the streets or doing whatever nonsense they're doing, like, that's a lot of sleepless nights, you know. And you do. You hear parents of addicts who have died from this disease say they're at peace, you know. And back to, you know, do you... Do you treat them any different uh, or whatever? Absolutely not. In fact, you know, Chris and I just attended two Hurricanes games, and I think the first thing I did when we sat down was order a beer. Yeah. And I'm like, all right, I don't care. He's an alcoholic. That's his problem. He doesn't have to drink. And if you can't go out in, in public anymore and not have a drink then you need to fix your problem because you still have it. Chris and I say that all the time. We have to live in society like everyone else. We had someone in our family who said, you know, they're coming over for Christmas or whatever, and would would you mind not drinking or having any alcohol in the house? <laughs> like, yes, we do. <laughs> if that person is going to live in our society, then they learn, need to learn to be around alcohol and not abuse it. Yeah. And it actually makes me way more uncomfortable where people are like, Oh, you're you're an alcoholic. You're an addict. We're not going to drink. And I'm like, no, that's not really how then this it, works. Like, shines a light on it. No, you're gonna not. I mean, there's eighteen thousand people in that arena, and besides the children, everybody had a beer in their hand, or or a mixed drink or something, or a coffee, or a coffee. That was just which you, there honey. Was only one little place <laughs> that I didn't yeah. even know they sold coffee. He there. found I, it. I out. looked for it the first game and couldn't find it. So instead, you came back with a double maker's mark. In a a Starbucks thing. (laughs) Which is very nice of you, Daddy. Was there all people just like you there, honey? I don't think so. No, No, it's probably like ladies. No, actually, there was no one at the coffee thing but Chris. No, (laughs) everybody else was lined up at the vehicle. Me and two other people with a big book from AA. Yep. Well, I think, too, is like alcoholics and addicts, like we know our limits, right? Like we're cool to go to a game. We're fine to be where people are drinking. Like, are we planning a trip to walk the Vegas Strip anytime soon? Probably not. No, I mean, we actually just had that conversation the other night. Like, would Megan and I go to Vegas? And I think Jude was the one that was like, no, it's actually very family oriented now. Yeah. But, but still, that's not really my jam. I don't know. I've been to Vegas a lot and I'm not a drinker and I would I didn't go to a party. We went there for the shows, you know, and not even gambling. I mean, I could, I could definitely be, do some gambling back in the day. Mm-hmm. But I never went. We never went to Vegas and and drank again. I was never a drinker. Now I will go back to to the pot thing. I'm around people now that smoke pot. Like we went to that wedding up in Boston, and there were people. Everybody in there was a pothead. I think. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't make me want to smoke. Right. So I don't know. It doesn't. That part of my brain doesn't have that thing that switches on and off when I'm around somebody like that. So I guess, you know, it's the same thing when we went to the hockey game. I, you know, I had my beer like I always do, and you have to deal with it. And I'm okay with that. Just like here. I mean, there's beer in the house. There's a cabinet full of booze. A drawer full of weed. Yeah. You know, probably all sorts of accoutrements. Yep. In the Casa de Dicky. Yep. Whatever your poison is, I'm sure you can find it somewhere in this house. And that's okay. Who just shit themselves? Not, Must not be me. you. Not me. I, I, don't, smell I don't smell anything. What do you smell? I thought I smelled a poopy. Oh. No. Oh, okay. But I have the vid, so I can't smell it. That's it's also right. your problem, Chris. Yeah. Well, I've had the vid, whatever you call it. 
You're recovering. Megan said I have the long vid now. <laughs> the long vid. Does it last? The effects Which is last like that for chronic Lyme's disease. Yeah. Well, that bullshit. Fibromyalgia. I don't know. I lost the taste for Chinese food. <laughs> that was a joke. I get that, Daddy. Did you get that joke? I got that. I like when this whole thing started. We went to your house and we went to the Chinese restaurant. And you came back with a Corona, and you were pointing, and I didn't get the innuendo. <laughs> and little did I know that two years later, seven million <laughs> people, people would have perished. Yeah. Oops. Oops. <laughs> Typically poor timing on my part. <laughs> but so back to the China jokes. virus. There's another good example. Donald Trump. I don't care. You can hate him, love him, whatever. He doesn't drink, never drank, never smoked. His brother died from alcoholism or whatever. Yes. Was, And they were both raised the same way. They yep. both had the same opportunities. Right. One turned out that way and the other one, so I don't know. It's not. It's a two-hit theory. I, I, I mean, there's a genetic link. I don't know if there's any alcoholism in your family, in your side of the family, Dick. But, I mean, I think, you know, on Alice's side there is. I don't. We're not going to call anyone out. I'm I know there was saying. a lot of heart disease in my mother's family. Although my mother did have one brother who died really young who used to come over to visit every Sunday morning. And he would have a coffee and they would give him a thing, a, some whiskey to put in his coffee. We didn't think anything about it. But looking back on those days, we've discussed it. And he was probably an alcoholic. He had the shakes. So we just had a little I shot to get I him through. I don't remember the shakes. But I just I, we, we remember him having his coffee and my mother giving him a shot of whiskey or huh. Canadian Club or whatever the hell it was, some kind of cheap booze that my dad probably had. Interesting. But I don't know. No, there was no alcoholics that I know that I know of. Not on my mom's side. I know, like, my dad's side has some strong alcoholic roots. My He'll be the first one to tell you his grandfather died on Skid Row when you said that as an he alcoholic. Was a skid. Yeah, yeah, he was. Exactly. So there's some, you know, some strong Irish alcoholic roots on that side. I think it's more of a lifestyle when you're Irish. I don't think it's a disease. So is that genetic? Because it's a, that's a, a, like, I don't know. A I mean, it's a gene. It's a country I mean, thing. it's probably more prevalent, but I guess you figure they all, you know, breed together. So. Well, that's like us as Italians. We, yeah. but we eat. We like eat. Exactly. Junk all the time. Oh, sucks. Yeah, and they all sucks. die from heart disease. Mm-hmm. Although I guess if you live in Italy, you don't because you drink a lot of wine. I guess that's. I know, but they but drink they're not it. Alcoholics. Res- no, they're not. They drink it very responsibly. No, nope. you get a pitcher of wine mm-hmm. at lunch, and you you have a couple sips or whatever. You don't get hammered. Yeah, it's a different cultural thing too. Like kids yeah. drink. You know, it's not like Americans where, you know, you give them their first. You, they take their first drink at sixteen, and they have to like party in the streets. It's like when we went to Puerto Rico. Alcoholism isn't actually a thing. It's a way of life there. Yes, that is. That's yeah. actually what I was referencing when I t- they said, told Nips that you go to CVS and yeah. you're waiting at the cash register and there's a whole rack full of different kinds of little bottles of whiskey. And I had met Dick only once for, you know, a short period of time at a family baptism. And um, then a cu- fast forward a couple of months and we were going for a week to Puerto Rico. Because daddy was saving the island. And it was awesome. But I always think I'm so lucky that we got that time because we spent so much time together. Like, what a like amazing opportunity. What a bonding experience, you no, know, it for was great. all of us. And there was a lot of drinking going on, and you yeah. guys didn't partake, um, unlike some of my, my co-workers who got stumbling drunk. They did. They actually day. got uninvited from the island. It was that <laughs> bad. <laughs> 
Chris and I, though, went to a couple meetings when we were there. We went to a couple different AA meetings. And it was funny. The attendance of the meetings were all like American transplants, not actual not Puerto local. Ricans. No. Yes. No. no, it is very much a cultural thing. Yeah, it was. It was. And I don't think I don't know that they abused it. Like, I don't know. I didn't see. I, we, we worked with locals. I mean, we spent a lot of time in the country, not in the tourist areas. And I don't really, I didn't see that. Like, we never came upon a, a couple people sitting out on the side of the street drinking. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It wasn't, I don't know, it was different. So as a parent, you know, Chris at this point had been sober for over a year, right? Um, that must have been like an incredible time to spend, to really see him, kind of spend that time with him again, and to actually see him doing good for the first time in a very long time yes it was a great week we had a yeah. blast yes it was and I, I we did a lot we did a lot together um i still had to work and you guys went off and did your thing during the day but it was awesome yeah and we got engaged down there yes we did i actually wanted you to do it on the boat cruise but you didn't, that so was a whole sunset cruise thing that I set I up know. for you. But we got off the boat and Dick's like taking that. our picture, like paparazzi, and I'm like, okay, hi. <laughs> I didn't realize it's because he thought we just got engaged. Yeah. So it didn't go down the way I, I pictured, but <laughs> nothing ever does, does it? No. Well, in my defense, there were a couple of Americans that were standing next to us who like would not shut the fuck up Completely the entire plastered. time. Oh, they were absolutely same. hammered. And I was like, guys, I'm only getting trapped once and you're <laughs> fucking this up. You know what? That was the same experience Judith and I had on that same boat cruise at mm-hmm. Sunset Cruise. It was a couple actually from Pennsylvania. <laughs> Interestingly enough. The guy owned a mountain or something and he just he wouldn't he just going on and on and on and on and on. But isn't that true? See, I don't like, I can't stand drunks. Yeah. Like at the wedding a couple of weeks ago, there were some people that were like, some, I, I actually, so I have a I very like high tolerance of people that are drinking except my mother or when you're being an asshole. Yeah, well, see, I, no, I, I, I don't mind seeing strangers hammered. I actually enjoyed it, like at concerts where we've seen people sitting there puking all over themselves. I would just laugh and say, oh, look at that. That's fucking great. Look at that idiot. But if it's someone I know and their whole personality changes mm. when they've had a few drinks, a few of the relatives that were there were, you know. Hits it a little a, close to home. I, don't, I just, I don't, yeah, it's annoying to me because yeah. that's not them. Right. Or it, maybe it is them. Mm. that comes out once when they get hammered uh it doesn't come out any other time but right i i just i don't have patience for that which is why i go back to i never really saw chris as an alcoholic until you moved i guess with your brother or whatever which time i don't know the time <laughs> there were had. several unfortunately when we, we had all the nips in the car or something but i never saw him as as a stumbling drunk even when he lived with us, and Judith said he used to throw empty booze bottles in the pond. I don't you remember you being that kind of an alcoholic. I don't necessarily m- remember that either, but that's probably because I was that kind of alcoholic. I just don't remember any of those particular events. Yeah, Judith and Joey seem to remember that. I don't. Oh, maybe it was. Got, you know what? 
again, I was working and I was out of town a lot, so maybe I didn't see it. Ignorance is bliss. Yeah. Yep. I, like I locked it. you in your room once for the pills. I remember that. I don't remember that. Yep. With the first house we had when we were down here. Yep. And your brother, Mr. Mr. Law Officer, you can't do that. That's holding someone against their will. That's kidnapping. You're going to get arrested. What a tool. Yeah, okay. You're like, no, I, I yeah, bore okay. him. I can Killing do whatever you. I want. Yeah, yeah exactly. Arrested. Well, I, I feel like that's... I do 30 days standing on my head. I feel like that's a bullshit story because I can't imagine that I wouldn't just, like, open the window. You didn't. You or actually escaped you, somehow. You, or you maybe didn't. I was just that But you had no choice. Fed up. You had no money. You had nowhere to go. You had uh, whatever that vehicle was that had full of ants. Um, you had nothing. You had a vehicle to, full of ants? I think it was an Explorer or something. It was an Explorer, and in my defense, it was North Carolina. Ants get into everything. It was, Yeah, they were in a heating system or something. I don't Ooh. remember exactly, but yeah, it was nasty. This is coming from the woman who's got literally 85 pounds of trash in her vehicle. Don't judge me. I'm yeah, saying. I'm not going to the trash thing in the vehicle because <laughs> I have no... That's, uh, no patience. No, I, I always had fairly nice vehicles and always kept them clean. And I just know when you get pulled over and the cop looks in your car and sees that mess, then they're they're looking that's a reason for them to go further. I believe that's called probable cause. Yeah. Well, it's just uh I don't know. It's like a bad truck gets pulled over at a way station and the truck looks like shit. The guy's getting pulled out back. One hundred percent. So any advice to parents after everything that you've been through with yours truly? Parents that have a child struggling or I guess anybody else in their family that's struggling or close to somebody, maybe even a significant other. What's uh, what's a little bit of advice that you would give them while they're in the trenches? Yeah, it's I don't know if it's an advice, but it's what I try to do, which is don't be an enabler. You for you can't make them do anything. Number one. Um, so that's worse on your psyche than then their problem or watching them go that problem is for you to try to do it and not be successful, which is you won't be because that person's not going to typically is not going to take that kind of advice from a parent. It takes it out, something outside like you guys went through. Um, and then the other thing is to, you know, put your foot down and, and make the hard decisions. I just said hard, hard you have to stick to your guns. You have to not give them money. You have to not pick them up out of the gutter until they're ready. And it doesn't matter what you do. It's not going to happen. So that's my advice. And I think that's the biggest problem parents have um, when they – two problems. Number one, they don't see it happening, which is usually the case with the opioids until the child ODs. But if you do have the opportunity to see it and correct it, the biggest thing you can do for them is nothing other than advice because when you do things for them you just become that enabler i think that's really good advice and what about you chris do you have any final thoughts well i mean of course i i always have final thoughts megan i think i'm lucky to be here i think i'm very or incredibly fortunate to be given the second the third and the 15th chances um thank you for releasing me from your nutsack daddy You've obviously done the world an incredible favor. Oh, that was my pleasure, Chris. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if your mother enjoyed it, but I did. Yeah, probably not. 
You know, and again, I, I think that the relationship that we have today and the fact that Megan gets to come down here and, you know, knows you guys incredibly well, even though you live five states away, we make the we make the effort to get down here and you get to spend time with Frankie and enjoy her is quite literally one of the greatest gifts that sobriety has brought me is that ability to be present to show up for family and to do whatever it is that I can do, you know, to have or heal or mend these relationships again. And again, from uh, from a, a parent's standpoint, I don't know that there was, yes, for you, it, there was a need to mend it. But from my end, like I said earlier, there was no no relationship broken. You'd always, you're always going to be my kid. My kids are always going to be my kid. You know, your older brother has issues that I don't agree with, but once again, he's on his own and he can do whatever the hell he wants, you know? So it's the way it goes. Yeah, you're here to support no matter what, yep. right? Like that's what a parent does. Oh, and move on. And now you get Frankie. Does that blow your mind on a daily basis, Dick? The fact that my son, who was a womanizing SOB, has a daughter. Yes. yes. And she's just, she's incredible. Yes. I'm, all my grandkids are incredible. Yeah. Um, but to, to have a little granddaughter, which is cool. It's, she, she's such an amazing gift, and yeah. she's totally my karma child. Yeah, and I, she's not afraid of Papa Dick. No, she looks at Papa Dick with the most and adoring she eyes. Yep. Yes, she's wrapping you right around her little finger. Yeah, that's the way it goes. Yeah. Grandparents are supposed to be like that. All right, darlings, anything else before we depart? No, thank you for your words of wisdom and for having us as always and having me as part of your family. I love being here. You're welcome. Love you guys. Love you too, Daddy. Say good night, darling. Good night. I'm Megan and I'm an alcoholic. Say good night, Daddy. Good night. I'm Dick and I'm not an alcoholic. And I'm Chris. I'm an alcoholic. Cut off your pets' privates. And remember, if you are struggling in any way, put your hand up, reach out, ask for help. So I Married an Alcoholic is sponsored by RealtorAndABaby.com. Are you looking to buy, sell, or lease real estate? Even if you're not in greater Philadelphia, reach out with your contact information so you can be connected with the most qualified realtor in your area. RealtorAndABaby at gmail.com.